0: Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here at Mission Church this morning. Everybody doing good? Good morning. good morning. All right, just making sure that you're alive this morning. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 5. This idea that our God is the sent one and he is sending. And so this is what we have been talking about in this new sermon series called The Unstoppable God. And we've been looking through the book of Acts in huge sections and huge chunks of scripture through the book of Acts, um, and so I encourage you that if you're a regular attender here at Mission, uh, for you to be reading ahead and reading those big chunks because uh, of the way that we've designed this series is that we're not, we're not covering every um, word and, and everything that is typically taking place. This is a, a narrative book, and so we're narratively kind of preaching the story of the book of acts which we've kind of better name it's not the acts of the apostle but it is the acts of god is the unstoppable acts of an unstoppable god and so when we look at this passage today and as we dive into looking at this specifically today we're going to see that um, god this unstoppable god who has an unstoppable uh, unstoppable mission and that unstoppable mission has a church and we're lucky enough to be a part of that church, that congregation, that global body of believers. As we have seen in this series, God not leaving his people, but sending his spirit, sending his power, sending himself to earth to his disciples and empowering them with the holy spirit when when this takes place the the birth of the church happens and the spreading of the gospel begins to spread to the ends of the earth and we'll go ahead and and ruin the end of the movie here but if you notice we were the ends of the earth when this book was written and we are here today still magnifying and glorifying the person and work of jesus God is a missionary God. He has a mission. He has created this church to bring glory and honor to Him through the participation of His people in His mission. We can't create our own mission. God simply invites us to participate in what He has going on. So don't think if you go on a foreign mission trip that you're taking God with you. Guess what? God is already at work there. He is simply going to use you, use me in our workplaces, um, wherever we are, in our neighborhoods, to bring forth that mission, to unveil himself. And so we see in the book of Acts quickly that once the Spirit comes, that the, the fruit of this baptism of the Holy Spirit is the proclamation of the gospel from the lips of the disciples. A mark, write it down, of a true believer is a person that verbally proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not forget that. We like to make it about a lot of other things, but Jesus' mission, God's mission, is that you and I would be proclaimers, not just in foreign lands, but on Ivy Farm Street. Wherever you live, wherever you dwell, wherever you work, that is your mission field. And I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to listen to last week's sermon, because there's a lot of confusion on what it means to be missional, what it means to be a part of the mission of God. And it is important for us to understand that it cannot be generated from our own thoughts, but God has given it, and that is to go and make disciples. And that is done through the proclamation of the Word. It is all about Jesus, every bit of it. All of our preaching, all of our lives, every bit of our existence is about jesus peter the main character that we've seen now through the book of acts at this very beginning has preached two or three times by now and every time at the center point of that the crux of his ministry and preaching is jesus this is why paul later on down the road is going to write in the book of romans in chapter 10 this how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him on of whom they have not heard or never heard And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, um, Mission Church, let us not be confused. God has a mission, and his mission is has a church. A lot of times we like to confuse those things. We like to swap those, that God has, a, God has a mission, and the church, he creates that, and then the church comes up with its own mission. That is not the Bible. God is a missionary. He has a mission. His mission has a church, and we get to be a part of that. We began to see last week, and we're going to continue to come back to this idea over and over and over again that God is going to grow his church. And, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't do it the way that I wish that he would. I wish that he would do that really easily. I wish he would do it with a lot of, like, you know, pixie dust and a lot of levitating and, like, hey, God, just show the world that you exist. Just kind of poke your head through the clouds and say, what's up? I mean, do something. Make this really easy where people will be idiotic to deny it. That's not the way that he grows his church. He grows his church through the proclamation of the gospel from you and I's lips. Not just the, the professional, right? Um, not just the foreign missionary, but you and I. If we are a disciple of Jesus, we are called to proclaim this message. He's also going to do that through persecution. Sign me up for that one, right? I mean, he was praying for that on their lives. And also, he's going to do this through prayer. And so, we see this taking place. As the church proclaims, as they draw near to Jesus and this community of faith, we begin to see proclamation, persecution, and prayer going off. The church has grown from about 120 people um, to well over 10,000 people. And what's interesting about these people is that they take their faith in Jesus very seriously. They take their community of faith very, very seriously they are giving sacrificially of their time talent and treasure they uh, they know and understand that all things belong to god we can read about this again in the book of acts chapter four if you have your bibles turn with me there this is kind of where we left off last week in verse 32 it says now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and of soul at the apostles' feet, and when it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So when we look into this chapter, into chapters 4 and 5, we, we begin to understand something that's really Uh, interesting that's taking place that we don't see a lot of there is some cases of this in in the western church but it's it is very scarce but one of the marks of the early church was this idea that again who are the needy people where are the poor people they're talking about primarily those within the community of faith the other believers They have come, there is poor among them, there is needy amongst this church and this believers. And so what do they do? They're like, man, we've got this extra land up here, we don't use all of this, and so we're going to sell off a portion of this, or we're going to sell off this home or this, and we're going to give it to who? To God, but where are we going to lay it? To the apostles' feet. Now some of you are already like, I ain't giving the preacher any money to distribute that out. But that's what the early church did. And so they laid it freely in giving. Because why? They realized, I'm not giving to this man ultimately. I'm giving to God. Um, Let's look at the timeline. When we think about this in the book of Acts, our tendency is is to to miss how quickly or what is the, the time of the book of Acts. And I think that we're missing something really critical when we do this. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus took place in 30 A.D all right? Um, So 50 days later, as we learned a few weeks ago, was the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost also took place in 30 AD. Now, the tendency that I have is when I read through the book of Acts, we're talking about days here, aren't we? Chapter one's day one. Chapter two's day two, right? Chapter three is day three. Um, and to do this is to really miss some unbelievable things that are taking place. It's believed by most scholars, I've tried to check these facts over and over and over again, The most scholars believe by the time that we get to chapter 4, this is two years after the day of Pentecost. Okay? So, picture with me, we go from 120 uh, people to 3,000 in one day. By the time that we get to this passage in Scripture... Two years of the church plant inside of Jerusalem is taking place. And, and let's just go ahead and I'll do it. Sovereignty, because where are we as a church? About the same age as this church. And we had a whole another sermon series planned, having no idea what the church would go through, having no idea where we would be as a congregation, yet we felt very inclined that we need to preach through Acts. And I, I do not think that that is outside the province of God. For us to be right where we are, peering into a church that is about the same age as the one that you are sitting in. The entire book of Acts spans 30 years, not 28 days, okay? So we're looking at 30 years is taking place inside of the book of Acts. And yet we get to peer in and see little snippets and all these little things that are taking place inside of this great book of ours. So, when we see this idea on the day of Pentecost, Peter preachers gives birth to the church, plants this church in Jerusalem. What are the people? Man, they are excited. They're so excited that the other people are saying, Man, these people are drunk. I mean, these people love Jesus and they love their church they were engaged in mission they were spreading the gospel they were doing life together taking care of each other and day by day our unstoppable god is fulfilling his unstoppable mission even though there's been a little bit of persecution in which we're going to get into a lot in the next few weeks we've seen a little bit If you remember last week, a little bit of persecution from the Jews trying to hinder the proclamation of the gospel. But all in all, in these two years, besides those little hints there, things have been going really, really, really well within this church. They're excited, just like anything new, right? Um, People are united, they're living as missionaries. Um, This week, my wife manipulated me into buying another dog for my daughter, and uh, you'll often hear that, and the Bible tells us that the scripture says that man is the head of his wife, but fellas, figure this out, Adam York, she's your neck, and the neck turns the head wherever it wants to go, all right? Just ask the Llewellyns, they've been married. Oh, a few years, and they can testify to this, all right? So we, we see this picture, and, and man, it's exciting right now. We're snapping pictures. Ava hasn't put the dog down. I mean, the dog is going to go lifeless with shrink because it's never walked. It's only been packed wherever it's going. But as, as soon as this dog, the newness wears off, I'm going to find my wife using it as a scouring pad to clean up a mess or something in the house. Or, or Ava's going to be going, this dog is driving me nuts, right? The newness begins to wear off, and and things begin to happen. But when we peer into it at this point, up until this point, man, the church in, let's just call it Mission Church of Jerusalem is awesome. is amazing. Let's read chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphire, is the real term, all right? Sapphira is the way that you pronounce it here. It means sapphire. The word Ananias actually means like the one who is blessed by God or prospered by God. So we have like this beautiful couple, is probably what we're seeing here, Ananias and Sapphira. Sowed a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, of course, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it back and laid it at the apostles' feet. And great fear came upon all those who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether uh, you sold the land for so much. And Peter said, and she said, yes, and for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. What? Welcome to church. I mean, reading this section in the book of of Acts up until this point is like reading the the book of Genesis. God creates these things. He says, let us, it's the first view of the Trinity that we have there, let us create them in our image. And he keeps creating this giraffe, rhinoceros, woman, man. And he keeps saying, what, man, it's good. This is 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 good. Then we get to chapter 3, death. Death. Very similar here in the early church. At the beginning of chapter 5 we meet this couple Ananias and Sapphira. They, they're believers. For all intents purposes it is believed that these men, this man and this woman were a valuable part of the church. They were involved in church. They followed Jesus. And they had a desire to be generous toward the mission of the church. And so they decided they probably were there the day Barnabas walked in and laid his offering at the feet of the apostles. And they, they see that, and, and they decide, man, we're going we're gonna to sell our property. Let's be clear. okay? God is not a communist, and God is not declaring that all of his people, though I believe that he will call some, I don't believe that God is calling everyone who follows Jesus to sell every possession that they have. But I do want you to understand this. These people were so compelled by the gospel that they were willing to lay down everything for the sake of the glory of God, for His mission, and for the people they were in covenant with. They were willing to say, okay, when I look at materialism, let's all face it, we like stuff. I mean, I want a watch right now that costs a fortune, that is everything right there. It's like I can control the weather from my new iPhone. I don't have it, okay? This is not that. But man, I want that thing. And, And Matt keeps telling me I want that. The watch has arrived. You've seen the commercials. I mean, we keep... Looking at these things, we look at bigger homes, and the older we get, it's like we got to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then we retire and leave that mess to our kids. I mean, that's the circle of life here. And yet to these people, when they compared the grace of God to money, materialism, wanting stuff, needing to buy, um, you know, expensive this and expensive that and expensive this and expensive that, they were willing to deny themselves of certain things and even a lot of things and even to sell off land, extra property, all these sorts of things so that the mission of God compared to the grace and the mercy that they have been shown through the person and work of Jesus Christ, all these things, as Paul would say, are rubbish, Paul says in that language, the term rubbish is is actually excrement. He says grace of God compared to materialism is is excrement. It's nothing. So when I don't have money, I don't have a house. I only have a dog now. I don't have a car. These are all God's tools, and I should be willing at any moment to freely give those for the betterment of God's kingdom and His Mission. One of the marks of true, authentic salvation is sacrificial giving. Now, before everybody freaks out, I could spend this entire sermon now talking about giving, but I don't think that's the main driver, the primary driver of what's taking place here. So, before anybody gets all freaked out and say every time I come to church they talk about money, um, I did just mention the word money, but that's not where I'm heading for the rest of our time. Like Barnabas, Ananias, and Sapphira have a piece of land they they decide to sell it and but unlike barnabas they 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 come up with this idea that we're only going to give a portion of the apostles uh, excuse me a portion of the prophet and we're going to lay a portion of that because man this is a lot of money who else would be tempted to do that yeah and you've got an influx of money Man, we're we're struggling here, or this would be really nice to go to you know Six Flags over Jerusalem this summer or whatever it is, and so let's set some money apart and go enjoy ourselves. Well, ladies and gentlemen, from what I see here, this doesn't that doesn't seem like that's a problem. The problem isn't that they didn't give it all. The problem arises is they're making it look like. They gave it all. They're coming across that man. We we sold it for five hundred dollars, and we're gonna give five hundred dollars. But really, they kept a hundred of it in their pocket. But everyone in the congregation, and the apostles, and the disciples, and those who are following Jesus, those who are in covenant community with these people, they they believe, and they're like, man. Look at what God is doing through Ananias and Sapphira. They are being sacrificial. They are being giving. They are being generous in what they have done. They gave the appearance of one thing while they did another. They lied. They were deceitful. However, the Holy Spirit does and sees all things. He knows exactly what they have done. And what does He do? I think through the power of discernment, through the working of the Holy Spirit, God tells Peter exactly what this couple has done. So you imagine, they have, they have gathered here for worship. All right? They've gathered for worship. And all of a sudden, Ananias walks in. And I don't know if this is what he does. It's just reading. If you've watched A.D., this new series, there's lots of additions there. All right. But I get this picture that that Peter is is up front somewhere and, and all of a sudden Ananias walks in. And I don't know if he's walking in like this. <laughs> all right. I, I don't know if he's got his checkbook out and he's like. But he wants people to, to see this. I mean, he is pretending he is playing a part. He is looking like, man, he is giving this all. And He steps up to Peter and Peter's like, hey, dude, did you give it all? And what does Ananias say? Yes. Dude, we gave it all, Peter. Here it is. Here's all the money. And Peter, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, essentially looks at him and says, no, bro. No, you didn't. You didn't. And in that moment, Ananias is caught He is caught in his sin. And what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that immediately, after he heard these words roll off of Peter's tongue, that Ananias fell to the ground and is dead. And then brothers packed him out, dug a hole, and put his body in it. Well, here's the issue. The Bible tells us that great fear spread across these people. But three hours later, who shows up? Why? Because... Love you ladies, we have a tendency to be a little late maybe to church. This lady is three hours late. Three hours. Now, let me say this, church went all day. That's my kind of church. That's my kind of worship. Y'all complaining about an hour long sermon. These brothers are going all day long, probably every day. Three hours. This woman comes strolling in has no idea her husband has been dead for three hours and is already in the ground. And you just imagine her sashaying in. Because by that time, surely the gossip has gone out. Man, Ananias and Sapphira, they gave everything. They gave everything. Oh, no they didn't, they lied. Ananias is dead. And so she comes sashaying in, right? And everybody's like... (laughs) what's going to happen? Look at her. So she steps up to Peter. Same sort of situation takes place. He looks at her and says, you know, Sapphira, excuse me, um, Sapphira, how, how are you, uh, did you do this? Did you work? Did you know about this? Did you, did you give all of the money or, or did you pocket some of the money? And what does she do? She lies. She's deceptive. And again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Sapphira hears these words from the Lord through the person of Peter. And the Bible tells us what? Man, before your body hits the ground or, or turned around, look at the back door. There are the young men. Their, their feet are probably still dirty from bearing your husband. And as soon as she hears these words, she dies she dies verse 11 this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture verse 11 chapter 5 and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things you think you think about the fear that's taking place I mean this this church is two years plus in, and all of a sudden on on, on that gathering, imagine being here on this day and and we're worshiping here and, and all of a sudden God judges one of our members and strikes them dead. Throw church marketing out the window. Like what do you put on the, the doorknob hangers if that's your church? Hey, come to mission church. Last week a brother and sister lied and God killed them right there. Open to everyone. Right? <laughs> Welcome. Come on in. Come to mission church. Come to the church of Jerusalem. Or, or you're talking to a buddy at coffee. Hey man. Hey man, well, how was church yesterday? Man, it, was, it was pretty interesting. And nice, you know him. Sapphira, you know, she's really pretty. <laughs> He's not so much. But they, they lied to our church yesterday, and God struck them dead. You want to come? Right? I mean, this is the conversation. If you're trying to grow a church, you, you don't tell people this. Right? You know, one of the things that's interesting about the Bible is that it, it, it doesn't leave out our issues. And it doesn't leave out the hiccups. It doesn't leave out the problems. It doesn't leave out the conflicts. It's there. It should make it even more trustworthy. As we've talked about before, man, if you want to prove the resurrection of Jesus during the during this time period, you don't send women to be the first witnesses. But what do they do? What does God do? He sends women. And if you're wanting your church to grow, you don't do that by proclaiming and writing in its historical writings. Man, these people lied and God killed them. He judged them in that moment. And yet, this is what's taking place. What is is going on here? Why why did God do this? Why did God take their lives? Is is what they did this little white lie? Is it really that big of a offense? It wasn't like they you know, put poison in a potluck or killed somebody or, you know, embezzled a bunch of money or any of those sorts of things, they, I think if they would have said, no, man, this isn't everything, we, we kept some of it, I don't think that there would have been judgment. But because they lied, God judged them to the point of death. Now, quickly, what can we get from this? Well, I, I, I get three things, I'm going to go real Baptist today, I'm going to give you three points. All right. For me, what I can see from this, or one of the many aspects I think that we can pull from this passage of Scripture for what it means for us as Mission Church are these three things. One, fear. Two, encouragement. And three, hope. Fear. Fear. What do we see here? That we, we see a great importance here in fearing God. We are called as followers of Jesus to fear God, all right? Now, I'm not talking about these kind of like scary things like you see in a movie trailer where like this person's coming back to the dead, and it's like they always involve dead kids now, which is really sad and scary, and they're the creepiest things, walking around or calling a movie Mama, but it ain't about yo mama, it's about some dead woman, all right? And like demonic stuff i'm not talking about that kind of scare like when ava sees a spider Ah! all right i'm not talking about that kind of scare but we are talking about a healthy fear of god an awe a reverence an honor that god is god and that we are not when we look at god in his glory majesty and honor we can not simply just come to him he's not your homeboy or your bff or your facebook friend he is still god he was god in the old testament He's God in the New Testament. And ladies and gentlemen, though we have stretched this, He, I want you to know, He is still God today. He is still infinitely glorious. He is still infinitely majestic. He is still the same God that was and that is and is to come. This is beholding the God of the Scripture in all His mighty. And when you begin to see that and have reverence for that, this type of fear is the type of fear that both causes us to come respectfully while simultaneously says, come. Like a great dad and his children who, who those kids l- want to sit in his lap and wrestle on the floor and have deep, intimate relationship, but there is also a line that should not be crossed. Why? Because this is God. This is Dad. This is Dad he loves us he plays with us he provides for us and he disciplines us we must once again behold god for whom god is and have a great respect a fear of honoring him again of reverence in him realizing that we are not god but that he is this is a healthy fear of god the next thing that i think that we see here is a a fear that we need to fear hypocrisy. That's what's taking place here. What is a hypocrite? It's, it describes a person who acts as a counterfeit, a man who assumes and speaks and acts under feigned character. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that he or she is not. To pretend to be a little farther than you are spiritually pretending to be someone that you just aren't you you are when you come to church we put on a smile we we can quote maybe some passages um we can sing some songs but that's not who you really are holistically as a person that is a, a hypocrite in greek culture a hypocrite is actually the term that we get from actor or actress um, in this time period, uh, uh, in a play, um, a lot of people would wear different masks because they would be only like five actors, and they would play several different roles, and the way that you would know which character they were is that they would put on a mask. Now that mask, if you dress up for the National Spook Holiday for Halloween, that's not who you are. You are pretending to be that person on that day. If you're in a play, you are playing a part. That is not who you are a majority of your life. That is who you are during that experience. Ananias and Sapphira, they pretended that they were more generous, that they were more spiritual than they really were. They were deceptive. They were liars. They were hypocrites. And God judged this couple. Again, I would not dare say that these people were not Christians. However, in a young, impressionable church, it is extremely important to guard the house. What seems like an extreme measure was actually an act of grace. God removed the problems before it festered. Recently, uh, we had a little bit of scare. Um, Laura has, um, was going to the dermatologist because we found this spot, and, and so she went to the dermatologist, and um, she had this little little bitty mole. And she went, and they biopsied it out and contacted her, and they said, you need to get this out immediately. This, this, is, this will turn into full-blown cancer. And so we, we took her, she went and, and, and had this, this cut out. And it, it was this small little spot. But she came home with 18 stitches and a huge gash. And the doctor told her, before we take this out, I just want you to know this is extremely serious and we are going to be aggressive in its removal. See, what often seems like a very small thing to us is a really big deal that will eventually, if not taken care of, if not removed, will lead to death. And in a similar way, what seems to be like a little white lie, or just a, a little stretching of the truth, or not giving it all, I mean, he hasn't required that we give it all, and we, so we didn't, but, but we came across like we had given it all, and so what happens, he He removes them from the community of faith because a small little bit of yeast will ruin the whole batch. It affects the entire batch. And this is what's taking place inside of this young, impressionable, two-and-a-half-year-old congregation inside of Jerusalem. See, what's interesting, ladies and gentlemen, is that i got to bust on us a little bit, every one of us. How foolish do we look to God? If we come to church on Sundays, we sing some songs, we put our hands in the air. When it's time to pray, we pray. When it's time to crack open our Bibles, we crack open our Bibles. When when it's time to give, maybe we even give in the offering. We spend some time together as believers. But how foolish does it look to God if this is the only time in your week, where those things are taking place. And we can come to church and put on the mask. We can come to church and quote the passages. We can, we can fool. And man, I, I have been fooled. We can come, but you know what else? Is man, I've fooled people too. I've been that hypocrite that we're speaking of. That for saving face has put on a smile and, and been chipper when, when everything behind the scenes or the other six days out of the week, it, it was tough, it was a wrestling, there was um, issues taking place, there was even, even can be a, a denial of, man, I'm, I'm mad at God, so I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to read the word. This is hypocrisy. We must not forget, boys, ladies and gentlemen, I almost called you boys and girls, I apologize. Teacher days. Wow. We must not forget, Mission Church, that God hates sin. He always has, and He still does. God desires that we seek holiness. This has become very difficult to navigate due to our culture and even the culture within the church. See if you can connect with this. In the pursuit of holiness, this is sanctified living. I've heard people say things like, "Like you're just being religious and legalistic. True. Man, if, if you're doing something or not doing something in the belief that you will somehow be gaining salvation or God's approval through these works, then you have missed the gospel and are just being religious. However, the pursuit of holiness in our lives is not wrong but right if done in and through and by view of and courtesy of the person and work of jesus but even in christian circles if you're like man i am I'm, I'm really trying to stake man people will think that you are extremely weird and strange for seeking holiness and yet we see this over and over and over and over again as as paul can, you know encourages us as jesus be holy for i am what holy the pursuit of holiness is a right and just cause as long as it is done through, again, through the view and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, we, we desire at Mission Church where we would be a place from its pastors to its first-time guests where everyone can take off the mask. Man, if you want to be in a mask-wearing church, this is not for you. If you're expecting your pastors to wear a mask, man, I can't do that. I just can't. Don't ask me how my day's going, because if it's not going so well, I'm—I can't lie. Because even you'll know if I'm lying to you if you ask me how my day's going, because I, it's this Baker disease me and my sister have. We get it from our parents that we can say one thing with our lips, but our face tells a different story. Anybody else got that problem? It's good. If it ain't good, don't lie. You know what? Mission and community groups were never meant to, one, just be about those inside of it. It's both and. It's those outside of the group and inside of the group. Every week we offer a free meal to the homeless and the rich at two different locations. For those who are in and for those who are out. But it was never meant as well to be a place where we come fake it till we make it where we put on the righteous and religious. Man, if you're, if you're struggling in your marriage, a missional community group is the place in which you should be, and you should be able to look at those people without being judged into hell to say, we're struggling. It's a place for unper- unperfect parents to say to the people, man, we are unperfect parents. It's a place where where if you're struggling financially, then you should be able to openly, and as embarrassed as you may be, to openly confess that to the people and to say, man, we we are struggling. And you know what we should be doing as a church? We should not just be giving out handouts, but we should be encouraging, equipping, praying for, and if need be, supporting that people financially so they can get back on their feet. But how many times do we gather, put on the mask, and pretend like everything is okay. This is not the church. It's not the church that we see here. because Tim Keller says this, The church is not a museum for pristine saints, but a hospital ward for broken sinners. The church is not a museum for pristine saints, but a hospital ward for broken sinners. And here's what I know about me and about you is we're broken sinners. So stop pretending, take off the mask, and be real. This is what we know is, the second thing is this, is encouragement. Encouragement. We should see encouragement. What do you mean, Pastor Eric? Two people just died at church for lying. How should we see encouragement in this? The first thing is this, Jesus will build his church. When we read the first Four chapters of Acts, we become envious in hearing the testimonies of the church plant and seeing the people united in one accord, engaging in evangelism, making disciples, sharing all their possessions, and growing by the thousands. However, how can we find encouragement by the time we get to chapter 5? As we realize, even within the early church, it was not perfect. And as a pastor and a person who's involved in the congregation, I'm glad this is in there. Because a lot of times we can hear people say, like, man, we need to get back to Acts. We need to get back to Acts. And ladies and gentlemen, I agree with that. But we need to also understand that there are major issues in this early church. There is conflict within this church. We live in a culture where we're all seeking and constantly seeking perfection in some way. Man, you're looking for the perfect spouse, you want perfect kids, you want the perfect house, you want the perfect job, and we want the perfect church. However, the search and expectation for perfection in all these things will leave you broken, wounded, and weary, and will leave your friends, family, and and church family in the wake of your stress. Charles Hatton Spurgeon was once told, um, and he's one of the major influences in my life, the Prince of Preachers had a megachurch without a microphone. Ten thousand people would gather often on Sunday mornings to hear this man preach. His sermons would be translated and put on the front page of newspapers major depression in this man's life major sickness to the point where even his his wife was bedridden and he died at like the age of 57 because of gout but one time these people because you know even people who go to church like to be sneaky and mean and so they came up to charles Spurgeon, and they said hey hey charles guess what man people people are leaving your church They're leaving your church. They're they're, they're going to to find a perfect one. And this was Charles Hatton Spurgeon's response. He said, man, when you find it, please don't join it. Because you will ruin it. You're going to ruin it. See, even the early church wasn't perfect. When when people are part of the church and there is conflict, we, we have a tendency to drift toward isolation to fall into comparison trap and to believe that the grass is always greener on the other side, to believe that it is better somewhere else, especially at home on Sunday mornings when we can watch preaching on television and have no accountability and, and don't have to deal with people and their issues. In all honesty, we're going to raise our hand. We're going to go straight charismatic. How many of you have been deeply hurt within the church by people? And pastors, many of us. I, I I've been a part of four churches: church I grew up in, another church, another church, and this one. Four of them. In thirty, almost thirty-seven years. In every one of them had problems and I was an abused kid. big church small church medium-sized church church plant guess what and there's a lot of other people in here that have been a lot wiser than I have and been um, can can share a lot of stuff and this isn't to bring up all of our woundedness what I want you to understand is is there is no such thing as a perfect church Every one of them. In the church world, we call this the underbelly. From the outside looking in, things appear to be awesome. But every church has issues. Every church has breakdowns in communications. Every church has issues with its covenant members. Every church has issues with its pastors and its leaders. And so when we experience these things, man, it can be really tough. Man, let's just, let's just jump off the ship. Let's, let's get over here. But I want you to know, if, as long as you're, if you're truly involved in that relationship with those other believers, you're going to quickly find out that there's issues there too. Okay? It's like people in their marriages, they're like, man, I, this marriage is falling apart. I need to go find somebody else. And then you go find somebody else, and you realize, guess what? Laura, she'll tell me all the time, she's like, Man, I, I love you. You are my best friend, but you got some stuff that drives me nuts. Back at you, boo. All right? That's called date night. All right? And, and we'll both say, Man, it, again, you're, you're my best friend. I, I love spending time with you. It is hard for me to be apart and away from my wife for like five seconds. She was late coming home last night. I was like, Where are you? All right? It's like, I, I want to know where my girl is at. And as, as tough as marriage can be sometimes, you have to get to that point where you just say, but I'm in this for the long haul. Because Jesus is in this for the long haul. And we're in this for the long haul. I'm committed to you. You're committed to me. When, when Laura and I got together, I had a full head of thick, couldn't comb hair. Like, like pull your scalp off thick hair. I did not have a hair on my chest. And somehow, through osmosis or something, it has relinquished itself from the top of my head, and has formed a perfect heart right here. My love for my girl. What's up with that? I'm getting these weird ear hairs. Like, how does that happen? You'd be looking in a mirror, and there's one just like, what? Can I comb that over? Right? Things change. I was not the 185-pound, soaking wet, dark-as-all-get-out dude that she met and fell in love with. Now she's got this. And don't tell me go to the gym changes you, because this is what you get. Still. Ten years drinking protein shakes, going to the gym every day. This is your future, all right? This is you, okay? Okay? things change things happen it, 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 they they break down there's there's issues are conflict and man uh, when we look at the old testament and uh, one of the things that i've seen through reading through the old testament is this, these same issues and conflicts guess what was happening in the old testament too think about moses and the israelites man we love god we love moses god is terrible we hate moses God, give us fruit. He gives us frosted flakes from heaven. They're like, man, we love frosted flakes. Keeps going. God, we hate frosted flakes. We hate Moses. Now, what I'm not trying to do is paint a perfect picture picture of of leadership here either. Moses had issues in in his pastoring. Guess what? We, we'll find out if you read through the, enough of the New Testament, you stay with the long enough, we'll preach through the entire Bible, you're going to see even in the New Testament that guys like Peter end up still having problems too. So it's not to say that congregational members are, are better than its pastors, but it's the realization that all of us have issues. Even after Jesus was here and he sends the Holy Spirit to the church, the church still has issues. It's is messy. When Peter addresses these issues to Ananias, he asks him, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Get this, please. Satan cannot destroy God's mission. So, what does he do? He dilutes it. He distracts the church. He divides the church. I'm convinced that right now in the American church, Satan's scheme is not to cause the church to explode from forces outside of it, but it's to cause the church to implode from within. Satan does not want that church or this church to thrive. He will attack our families. He will attack our church from within. Giving birth is beautifully difficult, and so is planting a church. Brothers and sisters, we must guard ourselves against the temptation to gossip, divide, lie, cheat, and to demonize other Christ-centered, Jesus-preaching, disciple-making churches. There are many things that we are allowed to differ on, but by God's grace, we must be unified in what matters most, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tweet this. We, We are more likely to listen to gossip then we are the gospel. You don't like how this happens? So it, it stays up here for a while. And then you meet with somebody, and you sit down with them, and what was up here, and that you were picking on, comes out here. And the brother and sister that you're talking to doesn't have that issue, but now you've planted something in their minds. You've planted something in their hearts. So what do they begin to do? Question leadership? Question other members? How many of you, if you're 16 years of age, or would encourage a 16-year-old to go find out encouragement and lifelong advice from another 16-year-old? When you're 16, that sounds cool, right? But outside looking in, what does that sound like? Foolishness. Peers leading peers is never the way that it was meant to be. And so, what begins to happen within church, you must understand, ladies and gentlemen, these are the schemes of the devil. They're not the gospel, they are gossip. There are issues that, uh, which that seek to steal, kill, and destroy the congregations that we have. They, they weave their way in. They appear to be holy. They appear to be right. But man, if, if you have ever been around Satan very much, um, he has a tendency to only tell one side of the story. He has a tendency to say half-truths instead of the whole truths. And these are issues that we are fighting within the church. We must encourage one another. That church, the Bible, the Scripture, the mission must not be about our personal preferences, including church. That we must, through the power of the Holy Spirit, engage in war in fighting from this drifting and deception. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, that these are the lies of the devil? It was then. And it still is now. Matt Chandler says this, May the myth of a romantic, frolicking community die on the bedrock of the reality that true community will be fought for or it will never happen. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is the daily war that we are amongst. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you, I implore you, I, I, I just, I, I beg you, I, I plead with us as, as brothers and sisters in Christ that, that we would begin to recognize and that God would give us the spirit of discernment and, and the right opportunity to grace one another, to grace your pastors, for us to grace you, for us to grace one another, so that we can take off these religious masks, that we can be real, that we can share. Why? In view of the gospel. We must war against this deceit. We must war against the, the isolation and the drifting uh, for us to isolate ourselves from the brothers and sisters in Christ. There is nothing more important on this planet, this side of heaven coming to this place for you to be involved, then for you to be involved in a local community that you are in covenant with, that I am in covenant with. And at the end of the day, just like our marriages, should we, we should be able to look at each other and say, no matter what you do i'm for the gospel and i'm for you i'm for the gospel and i'm for you so we can find encouragement even in this last thing very quickly is this hope we can have hope today we can have hope when we read these passages hey pastor Eric, what are you talking about again let me put this on repeat two people just came to church lied and died And yet, what does Luke tell us in chapter 5, verse 12? Now, many signs and wonders, this is like right after this. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. What? And then watch the news. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out their sick into the streets and laid them at the cots and the mats. That Peter came by, at least his shadow may fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Man, we have hope that even with our church conflicts, even, even with our issues, even with our, 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 our rubs with, with one another, even with our, man, personality differences, even with the fact that, that God, and I believe that He still does this, removes people from congregations man I know this pastor he went to a dead church and when he got there there was this deacon that pretty much ran everything he was an older gentleman and he believed that he was God and I, I remember this young pastor telling me he said man I went there and he's like I'm not praying for this guy to die but I knew that our church would never go beyond this man because I believe that he was put there to hinder us you know what happened that man eventually died and that church exploded. Coincidence? I don't know. Maybe God has removed me from some places because I was that guy. I don't know. But our hope is this: is in spite of these things, in spite of these things, what happens? God builds His church. And upon it, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Why? Because it is God. He's an unstoppable God. He has an unstoppable mission. And because of that, his unstoppable mission has an unstoppable church. And he will build it. He will make disciples through the proclamation from our lips into the lives of other People, So when you get weary, when you want to quit following Jesus or quit church or or quit this because it gets messy, know that both Satan and God is going to use those schemes to sanctify and to better your lives for His glory and our good. May we today find in this scripture a biblical fear of God again. A biblical fear of sin that we should hate it. May we be encouraged that when we have conflict at Mission Church, that this is not something new. We aren't the first church to go through things. But every church does. Even the ones in the New Testament. And lastly, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Because typically through that conflict, as iron sharpens iron, that causes friction. Things are sharpened and made better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you God for this time together. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives, Lord. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we come now to partake on this day, communion. Lord, may we remember and may we look forward to your good and perfect will in our lives, Jesus. May it be sweet upon our lips. May we find great encouragement, hope, and a biblical fear in you today. In Christ's name, amen. Pastor Justin.